Well, good evening, in-town ministry. Uh, go ahead and be turning your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 3. I want to give a big thank you to John and Vivian. Thank you so much for inviting us to come. Yeah. Uh, man, what an awesome just thing. And I, I said, you guys picked a lot of my favorite songs. We didn't even coordinate that. And it was just amazing. I've never heard that version of Beeper with the, with the little... Uh, uh, Cajon, you know, that was just, that was awesome. So, good stuff. Uh, my name is Fenton Gardner. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the evangelist at the Cornerstone Church. I bring you greetings from Duluth, Georgia, and your brothers and sisters up there. Uh, I want to give you a brief introduction of me and my family. We can go ahead and start the slides. That's my family. And actually, these pictures are both really old, but they're two of my favorite pictures. So, the one on the right, uh, that's me and my wife, Natasha. My wife, Natasha, is here with us. And um, our two daughters, Chloe and Noel. Chloe is uh, now going to ninth grade. She's the one on the right here. And our daughter, Noel, some of you saw her earlier. She's going to second grade. And Natasha and I have been married for about 15 years, uh, been disciples for longer than that. As you can see the picture on the left, I am a Georgia Tech man. Go Jackets. Yes. Woo. Oh, GT, right? <laughs> um, I, got, I, st I got reached out to. Uh, studied the Bible uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore years, got baptized as part of the campus ministry of Atlanta Church of Christ. Back in those days, my wife went to UGA, <laughs> you know, and uh, she was converted, I guess, the year before in 1999 out there in Athens. And I always tell people our marriage is proof that love covers a multitude of sins, even going, even, even being a UGA grad, you know. Uh, but no, she's amazing. Natasha is just a very, very special person, a special disciple, and I love raising our family with her. I uh, wanted to also introduce to you some folks that came with us. Jim and Pam, if you go ahead and stand up. Uh, this is Jim and Pam Hanna. Uh, they are part of, yeah, they're part of our leadership team. Uh, they do so many different things between ushering, benevolence, the board. Uh, they are just great servants of Jesus, and they've been faithfully serving Jesus since 1975, they got baptized as a part of the campus ministry in Gainesville at the University of Florida in the 70s, and uh, Jim and Pam are awesome, awesome disciples with great hearts. They really are great-hearted people. Uh, Jim and Cindy, if you'll stand up. Uh, <laughs> Jim and Cindy Albert, a lot of you probably know them from, probably more so from their kids, so uh, their son... Kendall and his wife Mackenzie lead the Nashville campus ministry, and their uh, daughter Alyssa and son-in-law Nick lead the Knoxville campus ministry up in Tennessee. And they've got one more son, Caleb. Caleb, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, they're great. They're also, uh, Jim uh, Albert is also on our leadership team, and they do so much at the church. They help oversee the K-5 through ministry and uh, help out with women's ministry and so many other things. Uh, that they do as servants of the Lord. So I'm really, really grateful to have them here with us. Uh, Carly Shortland, go on and stand up for us, Carly. Uh, Carly is amazing. Carly is so awesome. We love Carly. She's our student ministry leader, one of our student ministry leaders. She works with our team, uh, girls, and she does so much more than just that. She's a phenomenal singer. When, you, when I saw Reckless Love go up there, I said, Carly, I want you to go up right now. That's like, that's like I tell people, that is Cornerstone's song. Reckless love, and, and just, you know, you guys did an awesome job, uh, but I, I'm just so used to hearing Carly sing that song, you know, but she's amazing, um, great, great-hearted 
young woman, part of our singles ministry, and also on staff at Cornerstone with uh, the student ministry. Uh, last but not least, David Fields is one of our summer interns. Uh, <laughs> he's actually a student over at Georgia State. He's a part of North River. Uh, <laughs> but I know that is a, you guys have a huge church with a lot of different areas, but he's a part of that campus ministry, but he's serving as an intern with our youth and family ministry this summer, and he's been doing an awesome job. So I bring you greetings. I think I got everybody. I bring you greetings from the Cornerstone Church. So uh, thank you all so much for having us. Um, who else told me this? Uh, Hamilton and Ashlyn Von Wiegen send their love. Uh, Garrett and Rebecca Rutland send their love. And so there, I'm sure there are a lot of other connections and, and people that you know. But I want to talk today, what John told me, you guys have been going through the book of Colossians, and you're up to Colossians chapter 3. And what I want to talk today about, we can go to the next slide, is this verse here. I've spliced it up a little bit. But now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. And then Paul goes on. He picks back up and says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so what I really want to talk about today is how can we put away anger and wrath and put on compassion and kindness? The words that Paul is using here in Greek, they refer to clothing, like when you put your clothing away. When you have old clothes and you're no longer going to use them, you, you put them away. And then when you put on, it's, it's, a, it's a, a term used when you put on new clothes, when you get dressed. And so that's what I want to talk to, talk to you about today. And we've got, I've got three points or three keys to putting away and putting on. The title of my message today is actually a picture. If you'll go to the next slide. The title of my message today is The Incredible Change. <laughs> the Incredible Change. So visual title for you today. Uh, the Incredible Change. Now, quite frankly, when I saw Endgame, and if you haven't seen it by now, spoiler period is over. So you just got to have to live with it. So when I, when I saw the movie, I, quite frankly, I felt like Professor Hulk was like the incredible disappointment. I really was looking forward to some Hulk versus Thanos action, some revenge, and it just didn't happen. But I thought that this picture really captures kind of what I wanted to look at today. Because the interesting thing to think about is Professor Hulk still has all the strength and might of the Incredible Hulk, but minus the rage. And, and he still has all that strength in there, but he's also kind enough to share his tacos with Ant-Man. You know? And so that's exactly a lot of ways what Jesus does with us. You know, I'm going to talk about it in a moment. You know, when we become Christians, a lot of who we are, God still put that in us. But he wants to use our passions. He wants to use maybe even our fury. He wants to use the things inside of us for him. You think about Paul's life. Paul was passionately persecuting and killing Christians. And he went on to be the God that spread the gospel more than anyone that has ever lived. God took this passion and this hatred for Christ that, could only, that was only matched by his love for Christ later on. So today I want to talk about the incredible change, which is really ultimately about repentance. We can go to the next slide. So before I was an evangelist over at Cornerstone, I was actually a Spanish professor. So I speak Spanish and Portuguese fluently, and I worked at the University of North Georgia. Go Nighthawks! Uh, <laughs> uh, for for several years, but since I've been evangelist, I don't get to give tests anymore. So I thought I'm going to give a test today. 
So John, Vivian, about to test your people here. So this verse here, I want you to finish this verse for me. Jesus says this over in Mark chapter 1. He says, follow me and I will make you. Wait, one more time. Follow me and I will make you. Actually, no, you're all wrong. That's an F. So you're partially correct. Go to the next slide. Actually, it should say this. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. So if you look down in the footnote of your Bible on that page, there's usually a note. And what happened is the, in the NIV and a lot of other translations, they thought Jesus was just being redundant. And so they leave out this word. But the interesting thing is Jesus actually is redundant on purpose. He was making a point. Now, normally I don't go into all the Greek and what it means because what happens after that is, you know, you're going to go home and somebody's going to say, how was the sermon? How was that guy from Cornerstone? And it's going to be, well, I don't know. The guy was speaking Greek, you know. And so, but I think I'd like to point out actually what the word actually means in this case because I feel like it's pertinent to what really God does to our life. And it's not just because I'm a language guy. I think the word here is pretty significant. Let's look at the next slide here. This word is geneste, and it means to become or to emerge. It can also mean to become, and it signifies a change of condition, of state, or place. Jesus was going to make them to become something that they weren't. Jesus was going to transform them and change their condition or their state in life. And it's so interesting. Cindy and I actually, John told us to maybe coordinate. Cindy and Jim and I, we actually didn't coordinate on their communion in my message. But I thought it was so fitting that they shared from John 1. Because in that same text where it says, in the beginning, you know, the word was God. He was with God. And down in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. The same word that's used here. Jesus went from being the word, being, being in heaven. And he gave up, as it talks about in Philippians 2, he gave up his rights, right? He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became a servant. He made himself nothing. Over in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, I become all things to all men. So as to win some, he's using the same verb here. And so the first step to putting off wrath and anger is, and to putting on kindness and compassion is putting on Christ. We'll look at the next slide here. First point today is become. The first incredible change that we really go through is becoming disciples. When we believe, repent, and get baptized, we get the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This incredible change is twofold. You get two things. First off, your sins are forgiven. You have a different status before God. Your name is written in the book of life. You become a follower of Jesus. And the interesting thing is being a follower of Jesus is not really so much about the doing. We can get hung up on the doing a lot. Had my quiet time today. Check it off. Shared my faith with two people today. Check it off. Went to 5 o'clock service. Check it off. You know, and we can think it's about just doing things. But really, it's about becoming something else. It's about a change in your nature. It's about who you are, not just what you do. And that starts with Jesus making you into a fisher of men. The second gift that you receive at conversion is the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so the thing I always tell people is, you know, when you become a Christian, yes, your name gets written in the book of life. Your status is now different before God. But your behavior isn't necessarily different. I think we can all agree. When you got out of those waters of baptism, you weren't suddenly just everything that you did bad, suddenly you were doing good. Now, amen, we repent, we change, and hopefully when we study the Bible with people, we help them to see the need for repentance. But I don't think anyone would raise their hand and say, I was perfect 
I had perfect behavior when I went down in the water. But see, the Holy Spirit, the second gift that we get when we become a disciple is what helps us to change that behavior. So God takes care of our past. He knocks down that wall of sin and removes our past. And then for the future, he gives us his spirit to help us to become more and more like Jesus. And so, yes, it's about being more than doing. But at the same time, the more kind things you do, the kinder you'll become. The more you show compassion, the more of a compassionate person you'll become. And so the Holy Spirit and God's word will help us with that. So if anybody out in the audience is not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a disciple, I really want to challenge you to get in the word, study it out, maybe with the person that brought you or the people that have been studying with you, or maybe you just walked in off the street today. Find somebody, I don't go here all the time, so not me, but, you know, find one of these people that was up here on the stage and say, I'd really like to learn how to become a follower of Jesus. Because that's the greatest and most important decision you will ever make. And so this is not a sermon about evangelism, but I just wanted to start off saying that it starts with becoming a follower of Jesus, putting on Christ, right? So the next point, or I'm sorry, my, yeah, my next point comes from the next slide over in uh, James chapter 1. So Paul, when he starts off Colossians 3, he starts off talking about set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above, right? He says your old life is dead. Christ is now your life. So he's talking about that idea of becoming, like you're something new. You're a new creation. But then he gets into specifics, some of the practicals. You need to put off these things. So one of the ways, or one verse that I think can really help us to put off anger is this verse over from James chapter 1. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Matter of fact, in the NIV it says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so when I think about this verse, I really think what it's saying to us is, or it's saying to me is, Fenton, sometimes you just need to shut up and listen. Sure, Natasha feels that way a lot too. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just need to shut up and listen. Listen to God's word. Listen to his Holy Spirit. Listen to other brothers and sisters that God has put in our life. We just need to listen. You know, the Bible says when there are many words, sin is not absent. You want to be less angry? You want to put off anger and wrath? Become a great listener. You know, you've heard the saying, I'm sure, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Listening is one of the easiest ways to help somebody know that you care about them. Listening to God. God's love language is obedience, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. But listening to God, right, will show him how much you care about him. Listening to your roommates when they say, bro, I've washed the dishes for three straight nights. It's your turn, bro. But, but I've got tests and I, listen. Listening to, you know, your, your spouse, those of you in here that are married. Not just, you know, we, a lot of times what happens is we listen for our turn. We don't listen to understand. Think about how many times you do that. Think about how many times somebody introduces themselves and you immediately forget their name because you were thinking about how you were going to introduce yourself. You want to put off anger and wrath. Wrath. Become a great listener. It's really interesting because you think about how much knowledge Jesus actually had 
and yet how much he listened. You think about Jesus didn't even start his public ministry until 30 years old. He spent 30 years listening to other people. He was a faithful Jewish boy, going to the festivals with his parents, being obedient to his parents, except for that one time when he, gets, he stays behind and they're looking for him for three days, like, where are you? And what was he doing? Listening in the temple and answering their questions and asking them questions. Think about, you want to put off anger and wrath, be a great listener. The second verse we can look at on the next slide is from Ephesians 4. It says, be angry and do not sin. Or in some other translations it says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. You see, in and of itself, anger, just like money, we could put that in there. Just like passion, we could put that in there. Just like even sex, we could put that in there. These are not bad things in and of themselves. They just have a right context. God got angry. Jesus got indignant. When people were, wanted to bring their babies or their children to Jesus, I love this story about Jesus. He wanted to, they wanted to bring children to him, and the disciples were kind of his, his bouncers at the club. No, you can't get to Jesus with those kids. He said Jesus got indignant with them. And said, let the little children come to me. When the Pharisees weren't having grace, when they were just trying to bind rules on people, Jesus got indignant. When he said, don't heal on the Sabbath. He said, if your ox fell in a well, wouldn't you get it out? Jesus got angry, right? He made a whip and some cords and drove people out of the temple. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Emotion in and of itself is not sin. But what God is looking for is not man's anger because it doesn't bring about the righteous life God desires. A righteous anger or indignation is what God is looking for. So it says here, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What, I think the, the point of the verse is, it's not that you'll never go to bed angry. Right? Think about it. Sometimes you find out about a situation or something happens, and you just don't get a chance to resolve it with that person before you go to sleep. A lot of times it helps you to, or it makes you lose sleep because you're so angry or upset. Or a situation happens and you try to talk it out with the person, but you still don't resolve it even by maybe one conversation. And so what is he really saying here? To me, I think it is, don't, go to, don't, go, don't let the sun go down in your anger means don't go to bed without at least having talked to God about it. Or at least try to make an effort to resolve the situation. So when we're mad, when we're angry, when we're frustrated about something, do you go to prayer or do you go to gossip? Do you go to God first? I always tell people, you know, when it comes to confessing sin, amen, we need to be in each other's lives. We need to have people know what's going on with us. But I always challenge people, do you confess to God first? Or do you not feel resolved until I, hey, bro, let me tell you what happened today. Do you not feel good about your spiritual status until you've talked to a person? Or do you go to God first? And it's the same thing when we're frustrated. Read the Psalms for a little bit. Those psalm writers took their frustrations, their sadness, their anger. They took it all to God. So don't let the sun go down. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Because what happens? You don't sleep well. So then you're tired the next day. And then you're, you're hungry, you're angry, you're hangry, right, the next day. And you're just irritable all day because you didn't take it to God and put it at his feet. How many of you in here like stranger things? Yeah, we've got like four days, right? Till it, till four, season three. Season three comes out in four days. My wife and I are excited because it's a holiday weekend, so we can binge watch the whole season. <laughs> no, 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 you know. 
Yeah, <laughs> we're excited about Stranger Things. Uh, it, you know, a couple more days coming out. Well, one of the ways I think that we can put off anger, what we really need to do is at the next slide, we need to put off anger things. <laughs> the things that anger you, right? Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't walk into situations. Don't pit fights. Don't start fights. Don't do things that you just know are going to make you angry. One of the simple things is rest and exercise. Trying to work on my health. Trying to, we, we got a new diet we're going on and a new fitness plan. I, rest and exercise. You know, Jesus took naps on the boat. He sat down by the well when he was tired. Right? Rest and exercise is one of the, the simple ways. As I said, physical training is of some value. Right? But godliness holds value for all things. But we need to put off the anger things. And it's very interesting. Some might say, but Fenton, is anger really that big of a deal? I mean, I get wrath. I mean, that sounds like a strong, crazy word, wrath. But anger, is it really a big deal? Turn over to Numbers chapter 20. We're going to read a quick story here and, and see how God feels about anger. So the Israelites had gone through the exodus. They'd gone into the, well, they'd gone over into the wilderness. They weren't yet in the promised land, and they were wandering for 40 years because they had some issues. They were grumblers. They were complainers. They would get angry. And there's a very interesting story over in Numbers chapter 20. It says this, starting in verse 1, the entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. There was no water for the community. So they assembled, or they grumbled, against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought up the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. So they're grumbling. They're hungry. They're hungry and angry. They're thirsty. And they're grumbling against Moses. How does Moses deal with this? Like we just talked about a moment ago. In verse 6, it says, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, Take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses was in a crazy situation. Somebody was mad at him. What did he do? He went to God. Now, here's the thing about going to God. Back to the first point. You got to listen. Sometimes you're going to go to God for an answer, and it's not going to be the answer you want. Sometimes God's going to say no. Not yet. Maybe. Maybe later. But we have to listen to what God's response is. Let's keep reading. It says, in verse 10, Moses and Aaron assembled the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that the abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. And so it's like, yeah, I got it done. I fixed it. They have water, right? Everything's good. It's all good, bro. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. 
still think anger is not a big deal to God? I mean, Moses was God's man. Moses had, had done all kind of miracles. He spoke to Moses in the form of a burning bush. He gave him the power to, to put all the plagues on, is, on, the is, on the Egyptians. He led the Israelites through the waters. At one point, God was so mad at them, when, when Moses comes back down and they're worshiping the, the false god, he said, let me just destroy them and I'll start over with you. I mean, Moses was God's guy. Didn't get to go to the promised land. Why? Because he got so, should we bring water out of the rock for you rebels? And strikes it in anger. He was so angry, so frustrated that even though he went to God, he didn't listen to what God told him to do. See how important it is to put off anger? And so it's really interesting because I think about my own life, and for most of my life, I feel like I haven't really been an angry person. Honestly, I told Natasha, I said, Honest, babe, really, I never yelled until we had kids and a dog. I mean, even when we fight, I, I'm not a yeller. But man, it's just something about when these children won't do their homework, when they're complaining about having to eat their vegetables, when they don't want to go to bed. And I'm just going to confess, be honest with you, sometimes I've just lost my temper, became a yeller. My daughter Noelle was here. I, I'm not really a big video game guy. I don't have time to play Call of Duty and, you know, 2K and all that stuff. But the one thing I like is I like the Nintendo Wii games because there's a lot of family games. And so Mario is kind of my thing. And so we had this one Mario game, uh, 3D World, and I had beaten the whole game. Me, me and Chloe, my daughter Chloe, we went through it, my older daughter, and we beat the whole game. And one day my younger daughter, the seven-year-old that's here, she wanted to go play. And I'm like, sure, honey. She goes down there. She's playing for maybe 10 minutes. And all of a sudden she comes upstairs crying with a remote in her hand. And I knew exactly what happened before she got upstairs. She had erased my file. <laughs> we had beaten everything. And again, I'm not really a gamer, but in that moment, I just lost my cool. I started yelling at her over a game. Over a game. I made her more upset than she already was. And so later, I had to come back and just apologize to her. And, and we just, you know, when we got a big Christmas break or something like that, we went through the whole game. Actually, it created a great family memory because she was able to play, and we went through the whole thing together again. But in that moment, I lost my cool. See, how do you deal with situations that frustrate you? How do you deal with anger? How do you deal with it? Do you put it off? Or do you just let it fester? Do you let it grow? Do you get bitter? Even if you don't maybe yell or scream or say anything, what goes on in your heart? So the, the first part is we got to put off the angry things, right? Put off anger things. Look at the next verse here on the next slide. So it's not enough just to put off, right? Paul said, put off these things, but then put on something else. And here's why. In Luke 11, Jesus says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. You see, it's not enough to just stop doing something, right? We know, we teach people in the study what repentance means, metanoia, right? It's a change of mind. It's a 180, not a 360, because then you're right back where you were. <laughs> but it's, you stop going this way, and you don't just stop. You see, Jesus never de designed it for us to just be monks, for us to say, well, well, I'm an angry, I can't deal with people, so I'm just going to go seclude myself and never have interaction. 
or I struggle with lust, so I'm never, ever going to talk to somebody of the opposite sex again. That's not what he said. It, it's, it's, you, you, you don't just stop this thing. You start doing these things. So it's not just putting off anger. It's putting on kindness and compassion. So you go from a person that, you know, struggles with a lot of maybe impurity or lust to you, you, nobody is more polite and appropriate with sisters than you. You go from being a yeller, a screamer, to being a kind, compassionate, and loving person. I love what God has done with my life. It talks about, the Bible says God grants us repentance. You know, when I was younger, I had pretty much all female friends. I never had a lot of guy friends. I had three sisters, and so maybe I just grew up more, just with more of an affinity for women. It got me in a lot of trouble. When I, before I was a disciple, I struggled a lot with just impurity, immorality. It was just a, a jacked up and messed up life. And I never had close guy friends. And then maybe a couple years after being a disciple, I realized how God had just truly granted me repentance. I have more guy friends than I have time to hang out with. And quite frankly, other than that woman, my two daughters, I don't have any close emotional tie to a, to a person of the opposite sex because I understand God's design for marriage and God's design for my relationships. And I just think, man, look at the repentance God gave me. Right? And that's what I'm talking about. It's not just stopping this. It's not just putting off anger and wrath. It's putting on kindness and compassion. Last thought I want to leave you with. Look at that last slide here. Anybody know what this is? <laughs> Blockbuster, right? It's a VHS tape. Yes. Those, there were these things, for those of you that don't know, these big tapes. <laughs> and uh, we did everything that, before Netflix was a thing. Actually, an interesting side note, apparently there's like one blockbuster left in the world, and it's in Oregon, and their Twitter account is like on fire all the time. Like, they're just witty and funny, and uh, it's really interesting, but uh, be kind, please rewind, is what they would say. And so what would happen is, you, you take this VHS home, and, and after you watch your movie, they want you to rewind it back. Because it's easier for, you know, 100 people that have rented a movie to rewind it back in their home than if everybody brings it back unrewound and some assistant has to go through 100 videos and put them in, the, you know. And so it's just saying, be kind. Please rewind. And so I think it's sort of the same way. What, what God wants us to do in terms of putting on kindness and compassion is to have integrity. To be the type of people that do what's right when nobody's looking. The little acts of kindness, again, when, when, when you make little acts of kindness your habit, it becomes your character. Read James when he talks about put on this and then do this and add faith and goodness, right? It's a process. And so the more you do little kind things, the kinder you become. Had an opportunity, before I was over at Cornerstone, I used to be a part of the Northview Church, and every summer we'd take teens to Bolivia for these uh, trips with Hope Worldwide. And, and um, when I was there, whenever I, because I speak Spanish, I went three of the six or seven times that we had a, a trip. But whenever I was there, they're off, it's a very poor country. If you know anything about Bolivia, it's a very, very poor country. Uh, after Haiti, it's the poorest country on this hemisphere, on the uh, Western Hemisphere. And so every time I would go, you'd just see a lot of people on the street asking for money. And I just made it my conviction that even if it was just, you know, the smallest coin that I had, anytime somebody asked me for money, I was going to give it to them. Because my conviction was they needed way more than I did. There is no circumstance in which this person does not need this more than I do. And it just sort of became my character. I got back to America, and I feel sort of the same conviction. 
you know what, yes, sure, maybe there are some scammers out there and they're really taking your money to, to go drink or whatever. That, that's not the point. God, God has to judge them on that. But God is looking, do you have integrity? Do you have kindness? A little act of kindness can go a long way. If, if you want to write, if you're taking notes, write down Jeremiah 38 and 39. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Abed-Melech. And he does this one small kindness for Jeremiah. It ends up saving his life. Today, a brother preached uh, at Cornerstone this morning. Steve Gooch, he preached on Rahab. And her small kindness to the spies saved her life. You never know how an act of kindness can save somebody's life. Maybe that act of kindness is sharing your faith with the person in class next to you. Or I guess you're not students anymore, so at work next to you person at the grocery store with you. Maybe it's you see somebody walking across the street and you go and try to help them out. When things happen, do you respond to the Spirit's prompting or do you just keep walking? Think about how interruptible Jesus was. You want to be kind and compassionate, be interruptible. How many times was he going somewhere to heal the Jairus' daughter, and the woman with the issue of bleeding stops him. And that's an amazing story in the Bible because Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. You want to put on kindness and compassion, be able to be interrupted. See, the thing is, the Bible's not just a book, uh, a self-help book to make you a better person. It's a story about God's love for us. And it's a story about how Jesus in the New Testament wants to show us the way to actually truly live. And so my encouragement and my challenge for you today is become Point number one, become, right? That starts believing, repenting, and getting baptized. But it doesn't end there. Put off anger and wrath, right? Put off the anger thing. And the third point is, be kind, please rewind. Put on kindness and compassion. Make that just a part of your character. So thank you guys so much for allowing us to be here today. I appreciate the time to preach to you. Amen.